Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. A restaurant closes. I have an event that night. 40 people. My artist gets there. The doors are locked of the restaurant. What do you do? I remember all those first time instances that happened within my business, just the stress that I felt about it. And now kind of having gone through all these different stages, I know that everything is figureoutable. There's a solution to everything. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles, and my guest today is Daraja Asili. She is the founder and owner of Happy Trees Entertainment which produces creative experiences in local places. Her events include Plant Night, where you can spend two hours at a local hotspot creating a living tabletop garden with friends and plant everything from Zen gardens to quirky terrariums with the materials provided and a host to guide you. Her other brand is called Paint Night, where for two hours at a local bar or restaurant, you can paint on canvas and express yourself and your creativity to the fullest. And her latest event category is called Farm Fresh Yoga with Goats. Daraja is passionate about designing transformative processes, curating creative experiences, connecting people, and helping people discover something inside of themselves that they may not have known existed by way of activating art, culture, and entertainment in unique spaces. And last year alone, over 100,000 people attended her events. Now, she also runs Daraja Consulting, which helps small and medium-sized businesses to develop and implement accelerated growth strategies. And perhaps the most impressive from an entrepreneurial perspective is that she has built all of this with a location-independent infrastructure so she can run her company, including managing a remote distributed staff of over 30 people from anywhere in the world. Daraja, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. I'm super excited to be here. We're super excited to have you. And just to set the scene for people, you and I are now in Nairobi, Kenya, where we have hung out for the last month or so together. Yes, that is correct. And we're having a bottle of South African Pinotage, which is typically the best wine that you can get on this entire continent. Oh, 
I didn't know that. I would say, I mean, South Africa's sort of the primary wine region, mm-hmm. uh, the most prominent one, and uh, the Pinotage is one of the most famous types of wines to come out of that region. So we are uh, going to be enjoying a bottle of that throughout our conversation. Um, so maybe we can just start a little bit, just kind of setting the scene for people uh, who've never been to Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has this experience been like for you over the last month? And maybe talk about some of the cool stuff that we've been able to do, like the safari we went on and that kind of stuff. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's been amazing. This is my first time doing some sort of group travel. So I feel super blessed that I met you and everyone else that's that's part of the group because it really has been like amazing and life changing. It's really interesting. I really appreciate the the uh, relaxness of the culture. Um, it definitely has um, caused me to slow down a little bit, um, and the nature that we've seen has been beautiful, especially the safari and the animals and the food has been has been really good. Really good. And we're here with a program called Wanderist Life. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about that, about Wanderist Life, um, why you selected that particular program, and then basically what they provide and how that particular experience has been? Absolutely. Yeah. So Wanderist Life um, is a company that curates um, these excursion other countries. So for a month, they took care of everything. Um, the owner is Labrea Jones. She's amazing. And so my place was taken care of. Um, the co-working space I was going to work out of was taken care of. There was tips and tricks as far as um, uh, what I may need to know as far as coming here, like the visa and any vaccination. So it really gave me a lot of great information to help me plan, A, my first trip to the continent, and then B, to also... I'm trying out running my business while in a completely different country. And I've been in different places in the U.S., but never physically try to run my business while I'm in another country. And I chose this specifically because of the diversity. And I really loved her story that the reason she started it is because she wanted to test out herself the living location independent and the programs that were currently out there didn't really accommodate her having her child. And so after reading that, I was like, oh, wow, like, yeah, I want to, I want to definitely support her and, and, and experience one of her, one of her trips. Awesome. Yeah. And they do uh, different durations of the trip. So there is a year long version of Mm -hmm. the trip for people that want to commit to a 12 month journey. And then there are month long trips like the one that we're on now in Nairobi, we can just come for a month. And, you know, what I love about these kind of things is that you can just go to an amazing place that you really want to see and you don't know anybody there, but you show up and all of a sudden there's a community that wants to hang out and explore the city with you and do cool, fun stuff and all that kind of stuff. So it's been awesome. Yes, it has. All right. So Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I got to start off, I mean, we read through the bio and I just got to start off by asking you initially about goat yoga and what that is exactly. Um, And maybe you could talk about it in the context of, you know, sort of the larger offering that your company makes in terms of the different types of events. Cause Mm -hmm. I, you know, obviously there's a lot of very different types of things, but the goat yoga in particular, uh, I would love for you to explain what that is and then what the other events are as well. Sure. Absolutely. So I 
guess maybe it's been about two years now. No, actually, beginning of 2017, a um, friend sent me this article about from, I think CNN had done, about this woman in Portland, Oregon. And she was doing these goat yoga events and she had a thousand person waiting list. And I was, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly your face was what I was thinking. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. I've never heard of this. That sounds really interesting. And so I realized really no one else was really doing it as far as on the East Coast. There was someone else that was doing it in Arizona. So I think about two months, um, about three, I learned about it in January. And then in March, I was like, you know what? I'm going to fly there and check out one of her events and see what it's about. You know, why are people going to it? And so I got a friend of mine um, from D.C. to fly with me. We flew into um, Oregon and attended to the event. It was in a small city just outside of Portland. And um, I was a little nervous. (laughs) I was a little afraid. Um, And... It was a really cool experience. And there was probably about, I think, between 20 and 30 people there. And everyone had smiles on their faces. And even when the goat peed on your mat or pooped on your mat, I thank God that it never peed or pooped on my mat, but other people, people were still happy, right? And um, I was like, wow, this is really a a fun experience. And then I started researching a little bit more and I found out that goats are therapeutic animals. And so I thought, hmm, let me see if I can do something like this in DC and see what the response would be. So um, I found a space uh, to do it in Arlington, actually, Arlington, Virginia, which is just outside of DC in this open area. Um, next to a WeWork building, We Live. I partnered with them. And I think we had about 40 people attend. And the tickets sold out within um, within pretty much 72 hours. So that was the first first um, event. So that was like kind of my test event. And we played around with a few things. And so we're hoping to kind of launch more Um this year and in 2019. Amazing. And so talk, can you talk a little bit about what some of the other types of events are that you do as well and where they are primarily located? Sure. Um, our primary event, our events are under the brand um, Paint Night and Plant Night. Um, as Matt said, Paint Night, we bring everything that's needed. Um, you have your canvas, paint, an instructor. You sign up on the paintnight.com website of the painting you want to instruct. We currently host events in D.C., all of D.C. Metro, um, Richmond, Virginia, and um, Baltimore, Maryland, and Westchester, New York. And as far as plant night, you're creating terrariums, which are mini gardens that people can take to their home. And we use succulents, so it's like super, super hard to kill the plant. Like if you're someone that's like, oh my gosh, I kill all my plants. No worries. (laughs) Like literally you have to like really work hard to like kill the succulent because the succulents actually only need to be watered about once a month during the winter time in the East Coast and about once a week during the summer. Um, and they'll be happy and grow and add, add nice greenness to your home. 
Wow. So that is amazing. That sounds like a really cool, I mean, I definitely, the next time I'm coming through DC or the East Northeast corridor there, I definitely want to stop by one of these events because that sounds like a really cool, fun, and very different type of night out. Yes, it is. And the fun thing is, so primarily for paint night, typically um, 90% of our clients are primarily female between 25 and 35. And the interesting thing when I first launched Plant Night in Baltimore 2016, we actually got quite a few more men, which was a lot of fun. And I think also, too, we also got people that were a little afraid of paint night because I know for myself, I'm actually not a painter. So though I was running these events since like 2014, it took me two years to actually do an event as a participant for paint night um, and actually paint because I was so afraid that I was going to mess up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, I'm smiling right now because I'm 100% as well, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm insanely like not talented as an artist and also probably like super self-conscious of any like art that I would do. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing about this thing is that my business partner, Valerie, mm-hmm. who's based in D.C., she's actually, oh. actually she's technically based in Maryland right outside D.C. She's in Hyattsville. So yes. she's right between D.C. and Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Is She's an amazing painter, right? I mean, she just does this as a hobby, okay. right? So she's like, oh, look what I painted. I was like, that's unbelievable. Like, that's super talented. So like, yeah. she will totally be into this and like, I'm going to tell her about this and of course, you'll hear the podcast and I can pretty much assure you that she and I will probably show up at one of these two nights the next time I swing through to visit her in D.C. for sure. Awesome. I so, can't wait. Yeah, and no. honestly, too, like after my first time, like I go back now and I, I'm like, wow, my painting actually looked like what the painting was supposed to look like. So I was like pleasantly surprised and that's how, how a lot of guests what a lot of guests will experience when they go to one of these events is that they've now accomplished something that they didn't think they're going to be able to do. Yeah. And it's always rewarding to kind of see people come in and be like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And then walk out at the end of the night. Wow. Look at this painting that I just created. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit and I would love for you to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and how you came, I guess, both to this, you know, specific choice of you want this particular, off- these particular types of offerings to be your business, but mm-hmm. also how you came to decide that you wanted to be a business owner and you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you sort of came into that uh, life choice. I'd love to hear about the path and trajectory that sort of led you there. Sure. So I think innately I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't think I initially knew what that was at the time when I was growing up. Um, Um, I was always inquisitive and loved trying new things, loved meeting new people, Um, and I was an avid reader. So um, I think my first kind of real introduction to running a business was when I moved to L.A., Um, and I moved to L.A. with no job. So I had no job. A friend of mine introduced me to a business owner that had a couple of businesses in LA and he was looking for someone to help him out with his um, cellular store. And at the time, he didn't really have a lot of merchandise. The you know items weren't selling very well. And so I was like, sure, it's a job. I'll do it. And one of the beautiful things I'm so grateful that he gave me is he really allowed me, you know, full reign. So I was able to build his business as I saw fit. Um, and he provided the finances. So I literally didn't know anything about the cellular cellular business. So I researched and I learned more about it. So 
And then as a result, um, we had a fully merchandise store by the time I was done. We had a sales team. We were selling to corporations as far as the cellular plans. And then after a year, I helped him to open up a wholesale division of that, of that, of that cellular company. So now we weren't just selling retail. We were selling the items we were buying in bulk to other retail locations. So... That, I think that experience really gave me the confidence to realize that one, I loved building businesses in this way. Two, I was really good at it. (laughs) So yeah, that was probably like my really first introduction. And then I had the opportunity to be a part of a mortgage company um, with three friends that had started one back east. And that really... um, that kind of led into more of um, getting into the entrepreneur world. And then what was the path from there to Happy Trees Entertainment and sort of conceptualizing this business model and sort of moving into that as your full-time thing? Sure. So um, so I left the cellular company, I think about after about two or three years. Um, at the tail end, I was starting to work with the mortgage company. And I ended up moving back to the East Coast and delved in full time. Had a very, we were very successful for quite a few years. And then 2008 came around and the market crashed. <laughs> so I heard about that. Yes. <laughs> um, so very traumatic. Um, so I remember I had several deals in the pipeline and I couldn't get any of them through. Um, and all th- all these things that we had built, I just saw them quickly falling away, and it was very scary, very depressing. Um, and so, in two thousand nine, I decided to we did shut it down, and I decided to go to this place that I would go to a lot of times called Optum Health Institute in San Diego, and I volunteered three months of my time at their ca- at their campus, their health retreat um, that believes that raw vegan food will heal your body. And I had the opportunity to work um, both in their organic garden that they had and in their greenhouse where they grew wheatgrass. And so I think there was where I was allowed to kind of like heal myself and figure out like what I wanted to do. Because to be honest with you, when with the market crashing and everything that I had gone through with the mortgage company, I was super afraid of having my own business, right? I Because if it doesn't work, you have no money. <laughs> you, you have people that are relying on you. Um, so it was just very stressful. So I, I really thought about, is that even the right path for me? And so there, I was really able to kind of put the pieces back together. I did end up going back to corporate America um, and actually had a really great opportunity to actually work on a team that was auditing some of the banks. So I kind of got to close out my experience with the with the mortgage company and actually audit the banks that kind of caused some of the downturn, right? So that was that was really exciting. And kind of while doing that, I started on the side dabbling in um, working with some consulting clients as well as um, producing some art showcases in the D.C., Baltimore, and Richmond area. And so that was kind of... 
my introduction back into working for myself. And then um, I think in two, so by 2014, I was running probably about six events in DC a year and about five events in Richmond producing showcases that had like 30 to 50 artists that were showcasing on night film, fashion, music, art, performing art. And as a result of that, I was able to meet a lot of really amazing creative people in the DC, Richmond and Baltimore, Baltimore area. So then I learned about paint night that had just started, um, in Boston and was doing really well in Baltimore and they were looking to expand into DC. And so I was like, Hmm, these events that people will come and pay a ticket for and paint. I wasn't quite sure if it would work, but I had some artists that were that wanted some extra money. They said they, that was something they'd be, they would love to do. So I was like, oh, I'll put up a few events. And honestly, at that time too, in 2014, I was studying to get my mortgage license back. Right. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to go back into the mortgage business. Did really well. The market had turned around. I'm ready to work for myself again. That's going to be my path. And then little did I know that these events would take off. So my first event was in July. Within by October, I had expanded to Richmond, Virginia. And by the end of the month, I had generated over six figures of income from these events, in addition to had about, you know, 20 people on the team and really, really and wasn't working for anybody else. Like that was my full-time thing. Um, still doing some showcases still, but that was about to to wind up in 2016 um, when my, um, actually no, 2015, when then my paint night business just took off. Amazing. So you, so you took, you get the license for paint night in your area and plant night as well. And then you also started some of these other ventures eventually with the goat yoga and things on your own, all under that rubric of happy trees entertainment. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So would you say then, I mean, just given your experience and sort of tips or advice to people that are at that juncture where there is the fear barrier Mm -hmm. that you described, which I think is, I think is pretty much ever present with almost everybody. I mean, you'd have Mm -hmm. to be pretty extraordinary person just to not even have that at all. But for people that are thinking that I'd like to pursue the entrepreneurial thing, I'm a little bit scared and afraid because again, it's, you know, if it doesn't work, then it's all on you. Right. Um, But in terms of overcoming that fear barrier and taking that entrepreneurial leap, would you recommend, I mean, based on your experiences, the path of building up that side hustle and sort of Mm -hmm. demonstrating to yourself the sort of the minimum viable product that this can work, this can sell. And if I jumped full time into it, I could scale it at a certain point and then kind of transitioning or what other, what what tips might you have for people? Yeah. So for me, I think especially in this day and age, it's so, I think it's so much easier to kind of jump in and still have a side hustle, right? So everyone's financial piece is different. So if you have a full-time job and you're, you know, making good money, you have this great idea, I do recommend, um, you know, staying at it so you have that support because I definitely found that it was so much easier to make decisions when I wasn't stressed about money, right? And so even through my entrepreneurial journey um, with these creative events, I, at the beginning, I drove Lyft and Uber, 
right? That was like an amazing side hustle that A, allowed me to to promote my events. So when people got in the car and we were chit-chatting, they were looking for something fun to do tonight. I was like, oh, hey, here's this event you can go to. Um, Here's a coupon code for you. Um, And I could kind of, you know, clock in, clock out when I wanted to or when I needed cash. But if I did, if I was all good, then I didn't have to do it. So kind of figuring out what works best for you. And I know I was able to leave um, Comcast when I realized that what I was making for them, um, I now surpassed in what I was making for myself. And if I freed up that time, then I would be able to make even more money with that. But then I still had the lift in Uber. And if I had to, um, I think too, that's an important thing. I think people have to be okay with doing those things you wouldn't initially do because if I had to, I would go and waitress, right? So to help me further my business more than what it, and, and those are things that I've thought about sometimes, right? When, when times have been a little bit tough, um, cause we're definitely like slower during the summer. And so how do I make sure that I have all the cash flow coming in? My employers are getting paid because if we're slower, I'm the first person that's not going to get paid. Um, so I definitely recommend to people that are starting is to figure out what your thresholds are. If you have have a full-time job um, and you're okay with it, right? Um, then continue to build and put in that time to build up that business, that, that passion that you have in. And then once it's kind of reached the scale, and to me, it's not always monetary, but it's also your happiness. If you hate the job that you're in, get out. You shouldn't hate it because that's going to be a drain on you producing anything, right? So, but if you're like, oh, I'm okay with my job. Like I get a paycheck every week, keep on doing it, right? Build up your other thing to it gets to the point, whether it's money or happiness, and then allow that other thing to go or reduce the hours or go remotely or or work from home type of a thing. So I think there's a lot of things that people can do to kind of build up their business and what they're passionate about um, while also still remaining stable. So did you personally have sort of a breakthrough moment, like a light bulb moment or an aha moment or like a, a wave of comfort come over you when something happened or you hit a particular threshold and you said, okay, I've made it in my business. Like this is going to work. I'm comfortable. I'm confident that this is the thing. Like, did you, did you have sort of that moment? Do you remember that? Oh, I don't know if I've ever had a moment where I've like made it, (laughs) but I do have to say right now in this very moment, I feel comfortable, right? Though I've had to scale back, um, with my growth, I, I definitely, this is probably the happiest I've been, the least amount of stress that I've been. And part of this too, not because I necessarily have less stress in my life, it's because, or results of my business, it's because through the different things that have happened, I've learned how to manage it better, right? So I remember at the beginning, a restaurant closes. I have an event that night, 40 people. My artist get, gets there. The doors are locked of the restaurant. What do you do? Right. And so I remember when that instance first happened, 
I was crying. I was stressed. I mean, we figured it out. So we found a restaurant nearby. But I remember all those first time instances that happened within my business, um, just the stress that I, I felt about it. And now kind of having gone through all these different stages, I know that everything is figure outable. There's a solution to everything. I just have to deep breathe and I really try to, you know, make sure my team realizes that, that especially in the business we're in with events, like things happen and there's always a solution to it. We just have to take a breath and think about what that may be and then start taking action. I feel that at the very core of entrepreneurship is the art of creative problem solving. Absolutely. I really feel like that's it, right? Mm -hmm. Like every stress or every setback that you have, every failure that you have, every mistake that you make, which will be plentiful if you're anything like me in my entrepreneurial journey. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, you know, that is going to happen and anticipating that that will happen and will continue to happen. Even as you implement lessons learned, there's going to be new things that come up all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's about really the art of entrepreneurship, I think, is being able to take those mistakes and setbacks and failures and challenges as a business problem that needs to be solved yes. by you, the entrepreneur. Correct. I 100% agree. Yeah. So that really is the art. And I think it's important to have that perspective because people going into it a lot of times will be like, oh, I had like five failures or I made all these mistakes and I had these setbacks. Maybe it's not for me. And they get out of the game where they fold their business or they do this or they do that. And I think mm -hmm. the, the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that realize that this stuff is going to keep happening mm -hmm. and your ability to problem solve more effectively to anticipate, to prepare for, and then to be ready to solve those problems is really what's going to be the path to success. Absolutely. And I know for me along the way, I remember kind of for me, it was comfortable to have this kind of safety net. You could always get a job. I could always put my resume out. I could always go work for a one, Fortune 100 company again. Like they're all there. And, and at the same time, just because I get that job, there's no security. At any point in time, they can let me go. A hundred percent, which is exactly what happened to me, by the way, because the way that I actually got, I mean, I think your advice is great about like, you have a job that you kind of like, and you're building up a side hustle until it works. And then you can just like kind of leap over and then just kind of like run with that. I think, I think that is probably the best opportunity and the best way to do that. Um, you know, but what happened to me was that I unexpectedly got fired from my job mm. one day, walked into work. And it was like, yeah, uh, it's not working out and it's 2 p.m. and we need your company phone and get your stuff and 5 o'clock you got to be out. And it was a total unexpected, you know, massive life transition for me. And that moment, you know, on that day as I was literally like, you know, my head was spinning. I had to drive to the Verizon store because I didn't have a phone because oh, it took my company phone wow. to buy a phone to call my mother to tell her I got fired. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. like it was like that dramatic. And so, but I remember that on that day, literally as I was driving, I said to myself, I'm not going to apply for another job because mm -hmm. this could happen again. Mm -hmm. Anyone can let me go at any time unexpectedly. Um, and I'm going to figure out how to start my own business. Now, I had no idea how to start a business, so that was a whole, <laughs> that was a whole other journey. I had to go to the bookstore right. after I went to the cell phone store and start reading books on how to start a business, and mm -hmm. that was an entire journey in and of itself. But for me, you know, that was sort of the catapult, you know, and I kind of think, when I think back on it, I'm 
thankful actually that that happened because the type of job I was in, I was working in the nonprofit space for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many years it was amazing. Then we had a change of management and stuff got, you know, not amazing. And so that's what all led to this. But, you know, for me, it was kind of like, if you have a job that's sort of like mediocre, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, it's kind of pretty good. It's kind of right. not that bad and whatever. Then I might've just stayed there. Like I might still have been there if this hadn't happened for me. Right. You know, I kind of was the person that needed that real kick in the behind mm-hmm. to say, okay, hello, this is a transitionary moment for you. <clears throat> Start mm-hmm. thinking bigger, thinking differently. And you know, it's okay to pivot. And this mm-hmm. was at age 30, by the way, mm-hmm. right? I had no business background at all. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to go on a different path, right? Which is what I then began charting. But I think if you can uh, do the side hustle thing and pursue the entrepreneurial thing after work, come home from work, build your business in the evening hours, on the weekends, get it to a point and then leap over, that's probably a less stressful you know, way to do it. But as you mentioned, um, and I want to follow up on this, there are still, no matter what way you do it, if you're a business owner, there are going to be a lot of stresses that are going to continue. And you'd mentioned that over the years in your experience, you had created ways to better manage the stress. Can you talk about some of those? Yes. Um, So some of the things that helped me was or is actually still now meditation. Um, I try to meditate with a a CD like for at least five to 10 minutes every morning. And I find that when I do do that, I have a better day. Right. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe nothing actually happens that day, but I definitely always find like I have a better day. Like I'm whatever's thrown at me, I'm able to kind of handle a little bit better. Um, Also, too, when stressful things do come up now, I try to take deep breaths for myself. And sometimes, too, like if someone I've gotten into the practice of you come to me, there's this problem. And if it's something that I feel super reactive to right away, I may say, okay, great, let me call you back, right? And so for me, giving myself a little bit of space from it from a moment will allow me to process how I'm feeling about it and then go back. It's not very long. Maybe I'll, I'll call them back within like five minutes and then we can solve the problem, right? So then I'm coming from a space of, more centeredness versus a space of potential fear or 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 scared or whatever it may be, um, and I f- I'm finding when I do do that as well, um, th- whatever the issue may be, it tends to resolve itself a lot of times quicker. Um, also, too, for me, like delegation has always been really hard. So I've also, with my team, kind of put it back on them as far as, wow, okay, I hear you, I hear what's happening what is your suggestion as far as how we should handle this? Right. And so then it empowers my team to then think about, Oh wow. Cause nine times out of 10, whatever it is, it's probably going to happen again. Right. And so I want my team to feel empowered that, that they also know the solution and to kind of help them work through that. So then when it does happen again, we have a quicker solution to it. I think that's really important and really significant. Let me just follow up on the meditation thing. Can you talk a little bit about what type of meditation you do and sort of just for you personally, like what does that look like in the morning? What does that ritual look like? Sure. So I'm not a big like 
ritual person per se, and I have no idea what type of meditation it is. <laughs> I know there's different types out there. So um, I find I've listened to some like Gabriel Burst, Gabby Bernstein. She has like a five ten minute. A meditation on, uh, I think YouTube that I'll listen to sometimes. It has nice music. Um, I have another guided one that is by I can't remember his name now. Um, Gu- say, guided though, most of your mornings it's are, guided. are guided meditations, mm-hmm. right? Okay, they're mostly guided, and I don't sit in a particular position. I don't sit up in my chair and lotus or anything like that. I tried and I found it just really didn't resonate with me, at least where I am right now. So I may wake up, stretch in my bed and put on the guided meditation, right? Um, Depending on how I'm feeling. And I found that for me, at least when I'm less rigid with it, I'm more, I am more apt to do it. And it's still beneficial. Yep. Yep. And then do you have any other morning routines or, and even we can probably move this discussion into my question about day structure, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm really interested in how you structure your own personal work day, um, especially because you're not in a traditional office environment. You know, you don't have a situation where you're going in an office and managing all your people that you can see them and stuff. You have a whole staff that's across all different states, and now you're in Africa, and they're mostly in the U.S., Mm -hmm. and you're literally on different continents and different time zones and stuff like that, um, and you're running your business. So, what does your sort of morning routine look like? And then what does your day structure look like in terms of time management and optimizing your own work productivity? Um, so for me, my I never have a day that kind of looks the same. Um, and also, too, I try to structure my days on my energy ebb and flow because I know some days I'm feeling super productive. So those are the days I really try to get in like 10, 12 hours. And then there's other days I'm feeling a little less productive, right? So those are the days I, especially since I've been here, that I might try to include some sort of outing in the morning. And then by 3 p.m. in Nairobi time, it's just 8 a.m. on the East Coast time. So I've had a little bit of fun and then I'm not really kind of getting into things until maybe like three o'clock. But everyone on my team really hasn't started their day yet. So we're good. Um, As far as like time management, I've recently started using a system called Toggle. Um, that I've been finding very insightful. And so literally it allows me to kind of track what I'm working on and how long I'm working on those items. Um, And so it was a little challenging to kind of... um, be disciplined about using it when I was at my computer. But once I did, I really liked the ability to kind of go back and see, wow, so this day I got all of these things done. And then also too, I could see kind of, did I do my morning routine? Did I do some meditation that day? Did I work out in the morning Um, and start seeing some patterns? So then I can ideally start duplicating those patterns. Um, I also try not to check my emails first thing in the morning, right? So I try to do one activity that kind or project that kind of that needs to be done and do that first, right? And then check email as well as check email only a like two or three times a day. So not just staying in my inbox um, 
And the toggle I found has really helped me kind of manage that. Because if I see like check email, check email, check email, it's like, oh, like I'm not really getting anything done. I'm just responding and reacting versus if I, we also use a project management tool called Basecamp. Um, if I'm using Basecamp and I'm getting some of these projects down, now I'm moving things forward. Um, so toggle has been really helpful. Um, also something that I've been using for about a year now, which I am loving is called Calendly. And that's, um, this service, it's actually their basic service is free and it allows people to schedule time with you to talk or meet in person. You can kind of decide whatever that is and it automatically syncs with your calendar. So the great thing about it is before I just had people like randomly calling me, it would interrupt my day, it would interrupt whatever my workflow is. And now I've really conditioned people, Hey, my team, here is my Calendly. Anytime you want to talk to me. Just schedule a time and I'm going to be available and it automatically links up to my calendar. So then too, I feel very comfortable like shutting my phone off for a couple of hours as I'm working on whatever project I'm working on. Um, So Calendly has been an amazing tool as well. I agree with that entirely. And I think that's actually was a major breakthrough for me. And I think is too for a lot of entrepreneurs in terms of the transition from being reactive to being proactive which in terms of your time, yes. right? Which is one of the themes that you're talking about, both with the phone calls and with the emails, right? Because inside of your inbox are other people's priorities. <laughs> Absolutely. Things that other people want from you. <laughs> and when other people are trying to make unscheduled calls into your phone, same thing, right? right? They're going to disrupt whatever you're doing to try to ask you to do something that they need. And so mm-hmm. that's basically what that is. And so being able to organize that so that you are responding to those in blocks and putting both emails and inbound phone calls into pre-scheduled time blocks mm-hmm. so that they're not disruptive of your other time blocks for execution of your priorities, I think is a huge breakthrough for entrepreneurs and really helps to accelerate overall productive output. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, you've mentioned your team a few times so far in this, and I would love to hear a little bit about your team building process, how you think about that, mm-hmm. and as well as just like detailed tactical stuff about how you hire, mm-hmm. how you onboard and train, and okay. then how you manage your team, especially because they're distributed, they're in different states, at the moment they're on different continents, uh, and that kind of stuff. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your team building process. Sure. Um, so it definitely has been a process over the years. Um, and it's very interesting. I think for, I think when I first started, I definitely hired people. I talked with you. I liked you. You're hired, right? Didn't really put you through a lot of process. And then I learned really quickly. I didn't ask the right questions. I didn't ask enough questions. Um, so now our processes for any hosts, um, those are the people that are um, the instructor for the events. Um, they typically go through, I think, like a four or five part hiring process. So the first part is, of course, you submit your application. Um, if you're an artist, you're submitting some sort of you know, sample of your artwork. Um, the next step is a phone interview. And then we have a set list of questions now <laughs> that we ask every single person. And and then we check in with you. 
does this sound like, and we tell you a little bit about the job, does it sound like something you'd be interested in doing, right? If we like them, they like us, we go on to the next step. Next step is they go to one of our events. So they come to one of our events, check it out. Um, they need to arrive a little bit before because there is a kit involved that they would have to be transporting. Um, so they get to meet the current team that's working that event as well as um, get an idea of what their life would be like doing one of these events. So, And then they have the ability to possibly stay as a guest during the event as well. So after they do that... We asked the team that worked that event, what did you think of the, the prospect? And if they're like, oh, I would totally want to work with them, we take that into consideration, whatever the feedback may be. And then we also check with that person again. What were their thoughts? And then sometimes people, it's not the right fit for them, which is great, right? Because I don't want to hire someone, get you through training, and then after you know four weeks, you realize this isn't what you want to do, right? So it's totally fine. And we're like, no worries. Great. And if it is like, no, I totally want to do this. Then you come in for an in-person interview. Now we meet you in person. And in this one, um, you'll be able to meet with the area manager, possibly myself, and also do a mock um, event. So for an artist, they're going to take a step-by-step through a painting. And for a plant night host, they're going to take a step-by-step in creating a terrarium. And we have little flashcards for them, right? So then once again, we get to kind of see a little bit more technical skills. How do you show up in person? And then we'll check in with you again. If everything is good, then we'll we'll, um, start you in training. And you'll start off as a co-host for your first, you know, two to six events, if at, and then we'll check in with you again. So I'm, I found very quickly that checking in with people, and I always tell my team that too, it's okay, it's okay if it's not a good fit. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you, I believe that people should enjoy what they're doing. And I want people on my team that enjoy what they're doing, right? And if it, this isn't, you know, what you want to be doing, then I encourage you to find what does make you happy, which does make you passionate about. So I'm always looking for people, not just that person that's just looking for the paycheck. And I think what I found is this process eliminates those individuals, right? Because if you're just looking for a paycheck, you got to go through a lot (laughs) to kind of get to the hire. And there's way easier jobs to get that will just give you a paycheck, right? But if you're looking for something that you're going to have a lot of fun, you're going to meet some amazing people, you're going to be able to share what you love to do with other people and see how that transforms them. And I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, 
without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I wanna offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. And th- those are the people that I'm looking for to, to be a part of my team. And then in terms of people operations in the broader sense, mm-hmm. once you hire those people and you find the right people and you bring them on, what does your sort of communication infrastructure look like with them? Do you try to foster a cohesive company culture, um, especially because people are in different states and sometimes in different countries? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about communicating with your team, both managerially as well as sort of company-wide? Sure. Um, so we use a scheduling system called called When I Work um, that allows our team to let us know when they're available, when they're not available. It sends them text messages when it's time for their shifts. It also allows them to communicate with other people on their team um, if they needed to swap anything or anything like that. Just within the last month, I've moved also my entire team over to Basecamp. So, and that where I've, I've found, um, we can now chat with each other. It also has significantly reduced our emails back and forth. So any reminders that we want to let people know about, um, uh, we'll put into Basecamp into what we call our tree house, um, which is everyone from Team Happy Trees is where they can find information. Also houses all of the employee handbooks, any training they may need. Um, I also try to have at least one in-person meeting in market um, each quarter. So DC will have its own team meeting in person. And then I try to do once a quarter. Um, So like if we do a team meeting this month, next month we'll do a team outing. So we've done things such as going to escape room or yeah, just something different in team building that everyone can participate in. Awesome. So for you, you'd mentioned a little bit about scaling up and then you mentioned scaling back. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that and those types of decisions and how businesses should think about them? I mean, to some extent, I think there is, you know, there's some people who think growth is inherently positive and the more people I have on my team, the better of a success metric that is. And then uh, in many cases, that's not exactly the case. So can you talk a little bit about how to think about scaling and also what your experience has been in choices of, in that realm? Sure, absolutely. So I think very quickly, I started to grow and have a team, though majority of everyone was part-time. Um, I think by 2016, I had about 50 people on my team um, and we had just introduced as well a new night type um, and that was plant night, which really didn't have a lot of, oh, there were so many issues with that. Um, there were supply issues. There was plants dying. There was, you know, where do you get the soil in Baltimore when it's winter outside, right? So it was very, very different than um, paint in a lot of aspects, and I wasn't really prepared for it. Um, and so I remember when I launched that in my first events were February of 2016. Um, I sold out the entire month of February within, I think, like two weeks. 
And I, for my following months, March and April, um, and then I also launched in DC um, shortly afterwards, and then I ran out of planters. So the some of the projects that I put up, I couldn't source them because the industry wasn't prepared really for us to buy these planters in the bulk we were buying them in. So for a 40 person event, that means I need 40 Rose Bowls, right? Or I need 40 wooden six inch planters that I'm not walking into any local store and buying them, right? So um, I remember there, I literally had to... um, scale back from what my original projection was simply because of a, of a supply standpoint. I couldn't keep up with the supplies. Um, and then even with the people, I think at the time I was also at 50 people and then I didn't really have a strong HR department. And I also too, I think that was about the time I, st- I, I didn't really have a strong hiring process. So the hiring process I just shared with you about I didn't really have that. And so though I had 50 people, I was also going through people. So we were bringing on people and they were maybe staying a couple months and then they were leaving, right? So all of that was happening in addition to um, running these events in DC, Baltimore, Maryland. I wasn't in New York as of yet. It was really, it was really stressful, like trying to figure out these pieces. I'm not an HR person. Like my background is sales and marketing. I'm really good at selling events, (laughs) right? Um, I'm not as good at all the laws that are out there, right? So the hourly laws that are coming out now, um, making sure that I'm paying people appropriately. Um, And so I had to find other, I had to find resources to help me with that. Um, And so it was definitely a super challenging period. And then... It brought me to 2017, where then I expanded into New York City. So I ended up uh, taking over another licensees business, and that added another 30 people to my team in an area where now we have a delivery system, a delivery truck, and there's additional issues with that. Um... And so I think 2017 to 2018, it was really, really stressful. And I think in that moment, I didn't realize how stressful it was until I decided to get out of New York City, right? So um, I still have events in the Westchester, New York market because that was more comparable to what my DC was and in Richmond. Um, And it was a super hard decision because I had fought so hard to be in that market and I'd always wanted to do business in New York City. But at the end of the day, I wasn't happy. And so I remember when I, my last day in that area, I stopped doing my last event. I took like a week completely off and I felt the weight lift from me. And that's when I realized how much stress I had been under really over the last 
two years. And then in in combination of that, just this past April, I started a program uh, with Goldman Sachs. And so they they also, I think, part of being in that program, because I realized probably like November, end of 2017, I had reached a point of kind of what my growth cap was, right? So there is something additional I needed to know, but I didn't know what that was. And no one else around me, at least as far as I knew, was able to advise me. And so I'd heard about the Goldman Sachs program, 10,000 Small Businesses. So I applied. Um, I actually had the opportunity to get in for January, but it actually didn't work out. And then um, I started in their April cohort. And that was by far the best decision I have ever done in my entire life. Because suddenly I'm in a room with... I think like 30 other CEO business owners and the business owners range from being in business for two years to 25 years to it's been in their business for a hundred years. Right. So, and in talking to these individuals, they were all having similar problems to me. There was, you know, business owner that had, business for, I think he had been in business for like 25 years. He said he didn't even get his HR stuff situated until five years in, right? And so my business wasn't even five years old yet. (laughs) So it it just started making me feel so much better that all these things that I expected I should know, like now I had like 30 different people I could reach out to with, you know, with, any of my problems and potentially get a solution. So it really was an amazing program. I just graduated this past August. Um, we will still meet once a month as a group. Um, and that, that was the first business program I've ever been in. And it literally took you through, there was, a, there was a track on HR, your people, right? So I got to learn like, what type of person am I? What type of leader am I kind of naturally, right? And what type of people are the people on my team? And how can I make it the type of community that I want to make it and be more intentional about it? Because I know for me in growing this, some of this stuff wasn't intentional, right? I really, I just wanted to put on great events. And then I remember one day looking up and I'm like, holy crap, I've got 50 people. Oh, wow. There's all these different things that need to be done. Um, And so that program really helped me figure out like who I needed, um, what I needed to do to kind of, to scale the business. And so as a result of having gone through that program and I realized that I needed to scale back in order to move forward, right? And if I didn't, I mean, yeah, if I didn't, I think my health was going to be at stake um, because I couldn't sustain where I was if I didn't like scale back. And so that's what helped me lead to the decision of figuring out, okay, how do I really want my life to be? is this in alignment with how I'm running my business? If not, what do I need to do to get there, right? And then that's where I had the thought, oh, wow, so I can work anywhere in the U.S. Could I work in another country while doing this, right? What does that look like? 
You know, will I still have a successful business when I leave? So I had all these stories in my head and scares and that business program definitely gave me the confidence I needed that, yeah, I can, I can try this. And then everything else I think kind of lined up, um, where I learned about Wanderous Life, um, and I got on that plane to come to Nairobi. And I, and I really do thank God that two of the individuals in the program, yourself, Matt, and Allie, have been doing this, living locally independent in other countries, you know, you for a decade, right? So my trajectory, and actually interestingly, um, in terms of your, you know, what you were just saying about the international leap, right, Mm -hmm. is that I similarly built, I mean, I started my business in 2007 um, with my business partner. So we've been running Maverick Investor Group since then. Um, and we built it from day one on purpose as a location independent infrastructure. So I've literally never lived in the same city as any of my business partners um, on purpose. And so, and our staff is distributed as well around the country and, and internationally. And we grew that way on purpose. But I was living in LA for the first five years of my business. You and I, by the way, have yes. crossed paths in so, so many, many different ways. places because <laughs> you were, I know you were at Howard University for a yes, little bit. In I, DC. In DC. I was literally six blocks north of Howard University on Georgia Avenue and Gresham. I mean, that's, wow. yeah, I was literally right there. That's where I lived. Crazy. Uh, that was actually my first real estate investment. The first house okay. I ever bought was on Gresham Place and Georgia, literally six blocks north of Howard. Wow. Bought the house. Um, and this was back in 2004. Okay. Looked very different than it does now. Yes. Columbia Heights. Yes. Um, and, uh, and what I did is I rented out three bedrooms. I bought a four-bedroom house. So I rented out three bedrooms to friends of mine. Wow. So we had a four-person house. I had three streams of income. Nice. Right? And then that was in the boom period, mm-hmm. right? Houses were going up. So I was like, wow, house appreciated, cash out refinance. And I started buying rental properties in different markets around the U.S. And that's what led me through my real real estate education. I was reading everything I could read about rental properties and started to, to, to buy properties in different states and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so you and I were, were very close there in DC and then we were both in LA. Uh, yes, we were both in well. LA. So, we were both in Cleveland. We were both in Cleveland where I went to college <laughs> and we were literally overlapped in Cleveland we did. in the 90s. I mean, that's like unbelievable. We were like Wait, and originally you're from Buffalo, right? I went to high school and middle school and high school in Buffalo. So I went to high school in Clifton Park, New York. What? Uh, between Schenectady and Saratoga Springs. That's amazing. I know. That's amazing. So I yeah, and, I, and then before Buffalo, I actually, um, for three years, before middle school and elementary school, I lived in Westchester County. I lived in Rye. Right outside oh, New York City. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So we have okay. all kinds of overlapping. We do. Uh, the universe know. is like, you two are going to meet. <laughs> yeah. And then here we meet in Nairobi, Kenya. And now we're doing a podcast interview. It's <laughs> um, perfect. But but yes. But so anyway, so the first five years of running my business, I was location independent. I could live wherever I want. I was choosing to live in LA because okay. I liked LA. didn't have a business purpose there per se, but I loved LA. And, and then I was in a relationship there and everything else. Um, and then what happened for me was my relationship partner, she was doing a PhD at uh, UCLA in Egyptian history. And she was like, uh, I, so I got to go to Cairo for a year to do my dissertation research. I was like, cool, mm-hmm. I'll roll. I'm location independent. Mm-hmm. I think I could run my business from Egypt. 
for a year. Right. Uh, let's try it. Uh, you know, but there was no reason why I couldn't. And, you know, other than the time zone difference, mm-hmm. there really was no difference. It doesn't matter if you're in L.A. or if you're in Egypt or right. if you're in anywhere else. You know, right. you're, as long as you can adjust to whatever time zones you need and depending on how asynchronous your business responsibilities are, that mm-hmm. makes it either more or less, um, you know, of a change, but you can adjust to those time zones, you know, and you can do that if you need to be on, on a particular time zone. And I did that. And for me, that was just revelatory, mm. you know, I mean, that mm-hmm. was just like, wow, I, if I can run my business from Egypt, I can run it from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And so literally after that year in Cairo, we were like, well, we don't need to go back to LA cause you've got your research. You got to have a year to write your dissertation. Let's just go live in cool places around the world. That's great. So we literally just pulled out a map of the world mm-hmm. and we were like what would be our top five like bucket list destinations so that we'd most like to live anywhere mm-hmm. in the world and let's just go and run an airbnb in each one of them for two months wow i love that so we were I just like that. rio de janeiro cape town south africa barcelona i mean we were just cherry picking mm-hmm. them and then mm-hmm. we we're like okay airbnb and then we just knocked out a year itinerary of traveling the world and living and working like that and then that was now this was 2000 uh, I left the U.S. in 2013. Oh, wow. So this okay. was before any of these types of programs like Wanderers Life or any of the other programs existed. Right, right. Airbnb was there, and we relied on that. Were co- co-working spaces around at that time? I mean, or? I didn't use them at that time. Not at that time, okay. If they were, I was not aware of them. Okay. I became aware of co-working and co-living, and then all of a sudden these work travel programs mm-hmm. and these community things. You know, and so when I got out of that relationship, then I was I was sort of aware because I was in the space and I was getting, you know, information in my social media feed and everything else about, hey, there's these programs and they're putting communities together and they're traveling the world together and they're doing this stuff. And so um, it wasn't really relevant to me mm-hmm. at the time because I was in a relationship. But then when the relationship ended, I was like, you know what, this actually would be great because I really feel like there's a major social you know, I need to plug into a social community because I've been traveling the world for a couple of years. And even if you're doing it with one other person, mm-hmm. if it's like a relationship partner or a best friend or anything else, without a social community, it still uh, gets very lonely. Mm. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of isolation there for lo- if you're doing it long term. Okay. Right? Okay. For years. Okay. And so I was like, man, I really feel like I need a community. This is amazing. And so I started plugging into groups like Remote Year, like Hacker Paradise, like Wanderers to Life, and these types of companies that have come up to offer that opportunity to not only travel the world, but to do it with a cool community of people. And that's been a a super amazing thing to realize that you can work and also experience the world if you have a location independent income stream. Absolutely. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about your consulting, uh, Daraja consulting that you do. Um, and I know it's mostly focused on helping businesses uh, to design and then implement plans to accelerate their business growth. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, I guess, in your experience doing that and working with different companies, what have you seen as some of the primary sort of impediments to growth? Mm-hmm. And when you come in as sort of the outside consultant, what are you seeing and how are you helping them to transcend that and, and move in a more accelerated growth direction? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think a big thing that I've seen is their own self-awareness and being okay with not being the expert of every single thing in order to run their business, right? Because I think too, as a business owner, we're sometimes told we need to wear all the hats, 
right? And there's a lot of hats to wear. And sometimes we're just really not good with some of the hats, right? So for me, like I realized real quickly, I'm not good with bookkeeping. I'm not an accountant, right? <laughs> I'm good with like numbers and figuring out numbers for sales goals, but as far as the accounting piece, that's not my strength. So I need to outsource that. I need to find a good accountant. I'm not a lawyer. I need to outsource that part of it, right? Um, I'm not an HR person. Um, I don't know all the ins and outs and the laws to protect my business. Um, so I need to outsource that segment of it. So being okay with um, recognizing what your skill set is and what your, um, I hesitate to use the word weakness, but those that you're not as strong in, right? And find, you know, someone or people that are to kind of help you move forward. And so when I was working in the corporate world, I did a lot of work with um, sales and marketing, uh, yellow page ads and um, TV commercials. So I had the opportunity to, at at the beginning of my career, working in the corporate world of working with business owners and helping them. And I got to see firsthand, here's this plumber. He's really good at plumbing but he's not getting all the business in, right? So referrals are great. And at the same time, you need to have um, additional marketing to bring in additional business other than just word of mouth, because then that new business you bring in from advertising will then also be more word of mouth people for you. So what I found is my strengths are sales and marketing and in a way of implementing getting more people through your door right so making sure people are aware of what you do and then how they can utilize your service um and then more importantly in this day and age social media Right. Every like social media right now is the least expensive place for you to spend your advertising dollars that has the greatest return. Like I literally built my business off of Facebook ads. That's how how I sold tickets. That's how I got butts in seats. Um, And so of all the things that I've learned and kind of growing this in this creative entertainment space, that's what I'm sharing with my clients as far as how to make sure that they're taking advantage of that as well. Um, To make sure that they're having the connections that they want. And another piece too is relationship building. So... One of the ways that I also too grew my business and I help others grow grow theirs is connecting with larger groups that can talk about your business, right? So since I know that primarily females attend my events, I'm looking to partner with female-centric organizations that have large groups, whether it be a sorority, right? Or um, a mommy and me group, right? Because then... We're going to be able to partner together. I'm bringing some awesome activity that they're able to do. So finding those places where you can align with other businesses and also tap into their networks. I think that's a really big piece. You've mentioned a couple really important points here. And I want to just ask you to maybe expound upon this or or talk a little bit about what some of your conclusions um, or insights have been as as you've thought about it. But I think 
there's a couple of things that you've mentioned, which is that oftentimes people are good at one particular thing. Yes. So they're either as as Michael Gerber in the E Myth refers to it as they're the technician, mm-hmm. where they're amazing at plumbing, or they're amazing at doing the thing that there is to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're an entrepreneur or a business owner, or that they can generate business, or they can really do any of that. Correct. On the other side of it, you have some people that are amazing at sales. They're mm-hmm. just just extraordinary salespeople. They could sell anything. They're super talented at it. But just because they can sell something, and sometimes they try to like scale themselves a little bit and sort of leverage themselves and like maybe hire a couple other people to also sell stuff, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you can build out a business right. with all of the things that it takes to be the CEO of a company. Yes. Because there's a difference between being a good salesperson and being a good CEO. Mm-hmm. And there's a major difference between being a good, you know, technician and actually executing, you know, the product or service yourself versus being a CEO. So how do you sort of, you know, approach that in terms of like self-awareness of for people to uh, when they if they're able to identify what they're really good at mm-hmm. and they're able to identify the weaknesses, how do they then go about building a business knowing what they're good at and knowing what they're not good at? Like what's the process there? Um, I think the process there is I'm a big believer in lists. So for them to list out everything that they're really, really good at, right? And then list out all the things that they don't think they're good at or even the things that they don't like, right? Because if you don't like that thing that you're having to do every single day, that's also a drain on you and your energy, right? And that's probably something that someone else can do, right? For, like, so for me, I realized I don't like a lot of people calling me, it stresses me out. I love talking to people, but I don't like, so 50 people were calling me from my team every single day. I would be miserable, right? So I realized I needed to put into place um, managers that when my team did have questions, they could easily reach out. Because sometimes the calls are just like, oh, I want to just chit chat, which is totally fine, right? And my manager's they kind of like doing that, right? So it's a good fit. <laughs> so so I think lists are really good to really figure out, okay, here's what I'm really good at and here's what I enjoy. Here's what I'm not so good at. And then figure out, you know, what can you delegate? What can you outsource of what you're not as good at? And as far as me, what I'm able to kind of help businesses with is, how can you take that product and how can we make sure that or service that you have and um, make sure that more people are aware of what you're doing and make sure that that awareness then also turns into revenue for you. Um, And I think that's a big thing. I think that just because people know about you and there is like, like I've seen um, people with websites where like they have beautiful websites but I can't actually buy your product. I can't find the button, right? These simple things that you would think, you know, would be easy um, and, and it just kind of get lost. Like, of course people know how to do it. No, if someone someone is co- trying to get in contact with you and they can't find your number, they can't easily get in touch with you to get whatever that thing is, then you've lost the sale, 
right? Um, and so that's what, what I'm able to do is figure out, okay, where are you? Where do you want to be? What are your strengths and weaknesses? And how can we get those weaknesses, you know, off your plate and onto someone else that has those as strengths? And then at the end of the day, your business will be stronger. All right. So I want to ask you for kind of to drill down a little bit and ask you for some specific detail, tactical um, suggestions, because there's a lot of business owners that are listening. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people, I think, use some of these different mediums. Like they'll be like, oh, I heard Facebook ads is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So they do Facebook ads and the results are just a really not impressive ROI on the way that they're doing Facebook ads, right? Mm -hmm. They're not getting the types of results, either the number of of leads in terms of traffic or the qualifications of the types of leads that they need to be getting and that kind of stuff. So since sales and marketing is your strong suit, Mm -hmm. if you can give to the business owners that are listening some specific tactical advice about, you know, and feel free to get into the weeds a little bit Mm -hmm. um, of really what are the biggest tips that you would give on either Facebook or, you know, Instagram or other platform advertising um, to really generate the right types of leads? Sure. I I think the number one thing is I hear business owners, oh, I want everyone as my client. Everyone. Well, it's really hard to market to everyone. And the budget you would need to market to everyone is like Coca-Cola, right? As a business owner, small business owner, we don't have those budgets. So one of the things I find successful is choose that first niche that you have some sort of connection with, right? So is your is your partner a nurse and you have you know they have access to all these nurses in your local hospital and they all potentially may want to buy a house right so then when you're marketing to them you can be very specific because nur- nurses as a whole they kind of they have an association they belong to you can partner with the association as far as on social media you can target that particular city a particular age range so if you're talking about say this is a real estate agent right and they want to sell more houses so they're going to, and they want to focus on nurses in Baltimore, Maryland, they then know they're going to reach out to how many hospitals are in Baltimore, Maryland, Johns Hopkins, you know, they're going to target, they're going to probably, there's nurses appreciation day. And so in like social media, specifically Facebook, they can target their ad, their ads. Most likely a nurse is going to be how old you've got to go to nursing school. So probably, you know, 26, 27, 28 to maybe like 45, get a really specific range, get a really specific radius. And then what are some of, you know, maybe those interests? So, um, and then selecting those. And now you have a really specific market that you're targeting to. And then on top of it, not just making your ad, oh, come use me, you know, ABC brokerage, I'm going to sell you a house. No, tell some sort of story. So what could be a story that would be interesting to someone that's a nurse, right? Some of them may work along hours, right? So if you're a real estate broker, do you offer, you know, showing a video of a nurse getting off of work at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and being able to meet um, the realtor from ABC Brokerage, 
right? So really thinking about and I and I and I I believe that the more specific you can be for that niche will help you grow your business. And you may have like 10 more, which is awesome. And I always find it fascinating when I talk about this with business owners. They're like, "No, no, no, but I want everyone. I also want them and them and them and them." And great. But once you lock into that first niche, you will see the revenue coming in. You get your process down. So you know who you're targeting. You do your ads. You have a system that comes in that bring, you've told your story to them. You have the system commit that comes in to bring in that lead and then bring you, bring them through your funnel. Once you have that down and it's generating revenue, go on to the next group. If you also love plumbers or or whatever it may be, right, then go on to the next one. Um, And I'm a big believer in that. And that's too, once again, like how I built, like I was very clear, like my target demographic were females 25 to 35. I can't tell you how many times people are like, well, why don't you advertise to men? They're not really trying to go to the events right now, right? The only time they're trying to go to the events is maybe for a date night, right? So it's not, at that time, it wasn't my strongest demographic. Now, once I had that going, then I could start kind of focusing on other groups, right? I started focusing on um, museums, right? Doing activities within their space. I started focusing on associations, right? So then you can start focusing once you do that one thing. But I find that businesses a lot of times will try to be everything to everyone. And at the end of the day, you can't, and that's okay. And the more specific you are and the more niche you are, the easier it will be for you to grow your business. And I think And I believe the quicker you will grow your business. Right. And I think so two things in what you're saying. One is to understand who your target demographic is that's most interested in buying your product or service. Yes. And then the other one is the concept of affinity marketing. Yes. About why someone might choose you over a competitive company. Well, if you have this thing in common with them Mm -hmm. and they relate to you, be like, oh, that person has the, you know, is, is the same whatever that I am. Like I relate to them, whatever it may be. Like, oh, they're a fan of the same sports team or they're a, you know, this and that or whatever, I relate to that person on an affinity level, then I'm going to select that person over the competition because I connect with them and we have this in common personally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that makes sense in terms of the marketing. And then in terms of sales, Mm -hmm. once you bring those people into your funnel and you do that ad for the nurses in Baltimore to use, you know, continue on your example. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, cool. Like this person's also a nurse. And, you know, they're the person who specializes in selling houses to nurses in Baltimore. That's clearly the person I'm going to use since I'm a nurse. Uh, and then and then they click on your ad and they go in. What then from there does the sales process look like? What do you, what tips do you have for actually selling? Um, so as tips as far as selling, um, I am more of a relationship seller. Um, I believe in fact finding. Um, and really that's just asking questions. Um, I equate it to dating or getting to know a new person, right? Asking them questions, finding out, um, what it is that in the example of real estate, what exactly are, is it that they're looking for? Um, giving examples of your, you know, top five areas you would love to live in, um, top five 
you know, five things you definitely don't want in a house. Like, so, so also too, it's as important to know what I'm always, I'm a big believer in. It's as important to know what you want as well as what you don't want, right? Then to get to the perfect middle ground of, oh, wow, here's the, here's the perfect thing for you. Um, so yeah, I'm a big believer in like really having some sort of set questions that you're going to ask that that new person. So you are creating that relationship with them. Yeah, I agree. I think the, con- the concept of consultative selling yes. is a really important one because then it allows you to authentically be able to give customized prescriptive solutions mm-hmm. to people once you have actually listened to their feedback Absolutely. as opposed to just trying to hawk them some general thing where you're like, how do you know what I need? Cause you don't know my specific interests and my personal needs and my criteria. Absolutely. Right? And another piece with that too, um, be okay with letting people go. So if you do get a prospect that comes in and for whatever reason you realize in the fact finding that either something they're saying doesn't really resonate with you and you're not really feeling it's a good fit or you're sensing, um, I'm a big believer too in getting feedback from that person I'm going to be working with. Um, am I the right fit for you? And if they say no, it's okay. A hundred percent agree. Right. And I, I'm a big, I refer people on. Like if I'm not the right fit for you, that's okay. I can guarantee you, I probably know someone else is probably a better fit for you. And the quicker I, I've learned I can get to the point, the happier I am, the better relationship I have with that person. And I know the happier that that individual is as well. I agree with that 100% and making sure that you feel that this is the right type of customer that you want to be working with because as a business, you're totally allowed to be selective and say, listen, I don't think it's the right fit for us to work together and that's okay too. Yep, absolutely. Um, But but 100% agreed. I mean, conceptually, and it's exactly what we do at Maverick Investor Group because when people come in, we're like, listen, let's have a consultation to see if we both feel that it's a good fit to work together Mm -hmm. and so that we can understand exactly what it is you're looking for and in terms of buying rental properties, right? Mm-hmm. Is Baltimore going to be the right city for you to buy a rental property in? It might be. It might not be. I don't know unless you tell me the answers to these questions about what your criteria is, um, what your investment goals are, and that kind of stuff. So we do full you know, extended consultations with every single person that comes in the door. And at the end of that consultation, we can say, okay, you know, we do mutually think it's a good fit to work together. Mm -hmm. What we're offering and how we're offering it is, sounds like a good fit for you. And now let's talk about which of the things that we're offering would be the best fit for you because it's going to be different for everybody. Each person is going to make a separate buying decision. They're Mm going to choose a different market. They're going to choose a different type of property based on for them. So we want to help to customize the value that we're delivering to your needs. Absolutely. So I think that's I think that's a really important um, concept, and I think it works well because then everybody is you know it's the best fit for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and it's fine for people to say that you know either way, right? It's not a right fit, and you refer somebody out, and maybe this would be a better situation over here, or somebody says I'm really more interested in buying commercial or apartment buildings or something. Well, that's not what we do. That's a cool you know thing if that's what you want to do. Let me refer you over to an expert that does that or do this. But here's why we do what we do. This Absolutely. is the 
value that we think that this provides. If that sounds like a fit for you, then cool. Let's talk more about it and let me know about you and what your priorities are so that we can help to, you know, introduce you to something that would be the best fit for you personally. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I, I think people will be surprised in and that I've found people are surprised and that I've experienced myself is that when you do that, when you're okay with, you know, not working with that client and referring them to someone else, they're going to remember you. And they're going to refer, even though you may not have been the one that worked with them in this situation, they're going to remember you. And when they come across that person that is your ideal client, they're going to refer them to you. Yeah, 100% agreed. So, all right, Daraja, are you ready for the lightning round? I am ready, Matt. Let's do it. All right. What is the top book that you would recommend, a book maybe that has influenced you over the years, either in business or personally, that you would recommend most to people? Uh, that would be Blueprint for Black Power by Dr. Amos Wilson. Um, I read it. It's a th- super thick book and filled with tons of information and just really great knowledge. Um, I read it for the first time, I think in 2004. I really actually need to read it again. Um, and it really gave me um, kind of a really great perspective on how someone of color can build a business in America. Um, yeah, I highly recommend that book. It was, it was just an amazing book to me. Awesome. Cool. I have not read it. We'll definitely uh, link that up in the show notes so that people can check it out. What would be the top app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you'd recommend to people? Top app or productivity tool? I would say, I think I mentioned it earlier, Toggle. Loving Toggle. Um, And Basecamp. Basecamp is an app on my phone as well. And I'm really enjoying, um, especially being location independent in Nairobi, Kenya. (laughs) I'm loving uh, the, the tools of Basecamp. Awesome. What would be a favorite podcast that you're listening to or blog that you're reading or some kind of stream of information that you would recommend most to people? Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I first got, I don't even know actually how I got introduced to him. I first got introduced to him in like September of 2016 and literally consumed like all of his videos. First, didn't really care from him. He seemed a little harsh. (laughs) And then when I really started watching and really consumed quite a bit, I was like, wow, A, this guy really knows what he's talking about. He's very clear on what he's trying to do here, what he's really good at, which I appreciate it. Um, And he's just a straight talker um, and has some amazing advice. And I love the fact that he's a big proponent of, you know, take action. Cause I think I, I do, I find like a lot of people, especially within the entrepreneur, if, especially if you're, I think you're trying to start a business. We talk a lot. Sometimes we're dreamers. And so we have all these great dreams of ideas or businesses we can do. And until you take action and implement it, all it is, is a dream. And I really appreciate that he's, um, you know, just all the knowledge and information that he shares. So lately I've been really listening to his um, podcast when I'm in the car or traveling. The Gary V audio experience. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. You know, it's interesting because my business partner, Valerie, and I initially encountered Gary Vaynerchuk together in person 
almost a decade ago. Wow. It was 2009. I remember it quite vividly. It was 2009, mm-hmm. I believe, was the year. Uh, and he was the keynote at a conference that we were attending. We'd, okay. never, we'd never heard of him. We had no idea who he was. We're like, oh, like the keynote, you know, whoever this guy is, mm-hmm. is coming on to speak now. Hope it's good. If not, maybe we'll leave in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And he came on stage and we were completely captivated. I yeah. mean, he is, among other things, an extraordinary public speaker. Oh, I mean, amazing. Just in remarkably charismatic and just stunning from the stage. I mean, mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, as an art form alone, you should watch him for that reason. Mm-hmm. But we were there and he spoke from the stage and we were just like, whoa. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, we're going to buy all the books that this guy's written and read them. <laughs> Second of all, we're following him on every social media channel that he's on. And I recommend to entrepreneurs as well, you know, younger people that are coming into the game, mm-hmm. you know, and that are coming to me for advice, you know, who should I be following? Who should I be listening to? And I, you know, among other people, Gary Vee is one of the top people that I say, follow him on every channel and just consume all his stuff because it will be both motivating and also really tactically insightful. Absolutely. And so, and I, to be honest with you, I mean, I, you know, when I'm having a hard day or or I'm in a period of stress, like one of my stress, you know, relieving tactics is to kind of go watch some Gary Vee stuff and mm-hmm. just get really jolted, you know, by some of the stuff that he's saying and the way that he's saying it. So totally agreed with that. All right. If you could have dinner with any celebrity or author or public figure who's person, any person at all who's alive today that you've never met, who would you choose and why would you choose that person? Michelle Obama. I think she is just an amazing, brilliant individual. Um, Yeah, I would just love to learn more about, you know, her story, how she got to where she was, um, because she was successful in her own right. Right. And so then to be first lady to President Obama. Yeah, I would just, I would just love to sit down with her. She just seems like an amazing, genuine, sincere, smart, um, amazing person. And what time if you let's say you and Michelle had a dinner and you had just like a few hours, you're ordering <laughs> food, you had the wine coming. It was just the two of you. Nobody mm-hmm. was interrupting you. There was no paparazzi. Mm-hmm. It was just the two of you kicking it. Mm-hmm. What types of questions would you ask her? Like, what would you most want to know? Um, I would like to know how she manages stress. Because what she, I, I mean, that has to be stressful, right? I, she's not only a wife, you know, she's first lady. She's She has children. She has children in that environment. Like, yeah, like, what is your daily routine? Like, how do you approach your day so that you are this, you know, centered individual that you are? Yeah, it puts our stress in perspective, doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. So next question is, knowing what you know now and having gone through your entire personal and business and entrepreneurial and career journey and everything else... What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? So my 20-year-old self was very conflicted. And I would say you are enough. You're 100% enough. Um, And to walk in yourself and be confident. 
that's what I would tell myself. I feel like that's really good advice. And I feel like most people at that 18, 17, 18, 19, 20 year old age, like that's just such an important piece of advice, you really know? Is. I mean, like society, you know, and now with the internet and with the comments section and with the, you know, all the social media stuff and different things like this, online bullying, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like people, there's just so much negativity and people trying to tear people down and mm -hmm. it can be so effective. I mean, it affects me. You right. know what I mean? Like, I mean, if somebody says something bad about me, like that still hurts. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's hard. Right. And, but, but when you're 18 to 20, like that can be devastating. Absolutely. You know? And so being able to instill confidence in yourself that you can do this and regardless of what society is telling you or regardless of what, you know, people are commenting on that don't like mm -hmm. you or want to just spew some negative venom on the comment section or whatever it is to be able to really just stay focused and have that level of confidence to keep pursuing your path. I think that's crucially important. Absolutely. And, and to point out the, the, the comments and those sites of things on social media, remember you don't have to listen to it, right? You can disconnect. That's a powerful thing about technology now. You don't have to have it on. And I think sometimes some people forget that, that like I have to have this piece of technology on. And if you're finding that it's painful for you for whatever reason, like don't allow that person to inflict that on you. Shut it off. Yep. Yep. Totally agreed. So last couple questions to close this out. I just mm -hmm. want to ask you a couple travel questions. Okay. Um, of all the places that you have traveled, okay. what would be your top recommendation for other people? Places, Some place you'd like to go back and visit and some place you definitely recommend other people check out. Wow. Okay. So you have caught me at my very like beginning stages of my travel. <laughs> I definitely would recommend people to do a safari. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I loved, it was like a fall camp. So it had like a toilet and shower and everything. <laughs> it's like glamping. It was glamping. Yes. That's, that's but a great turn. <laughs> yet we had to get escorted from the dining hall to our bungalow by a dude with a spear just to make sure there was no big animals yes. in the vicinity that might pose. Uh, yes. you know, and there were, by the way, from the patio of my bungalow, I was watching wild elephants yes. eat branches off of trees <laughs> and consume, you know, plants and bushes and things like that. So we were quite in the thick of it. It was we extraordinary. I had never seen anything like it. It yeah, was amazing. Either. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. So I would highly recommend that. I would I definitely know I'm gonna do it again. Um, probably in another country. I I have to say I think my I, 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 I think I still have a love affair with Paris. Uh, Paris is probably my very first country I went to. I spent a month there when I was in my 20s. And I just love it. I love the food. I ate all the bread and cheese I wanted and I lost weight. I was like, seriously, can I have more? <laughs> and um, yeah, it was just an amazing city. Loved, loved Paris. I agree with that totally, you know, and it's one of those cities that gets so much hype, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, oh, it this does. this is the Paris of the of the of this region or the Paris of this region. Mm -hmm. It's this so glamorized, romanticized city, but you know what? I feel like it deserves it. It does. I it feel does. like it earns it. Yes. I could walk like all, I, I did. I walked so much when I was there. Yeah. Just even walking down, you know, cobbled streets, I, 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 I just loved it. 
Absolutely so loved I it. I was just back there in June, and I went for I was there for a few days, so I did a, a couple things there. But the main centerpiece of the reason why I went was I went to the Dine en Blanc event. Do you know about this? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Um, okay, so this is Dine en Blanc is dinner in white, and it oh, is a it is a pop up okay. clandestine white party. Okay, where everyone dresses in elegant white outfits. Okay, and even the participants who sign up to go don't know where this is going to happen until a few hours before the event. Okay, oh, wow. So you're told to meet at a specific location. Okay. And then your leader will take you to where the actual event's going to happen. And what it is, it's a pop-up dinner party. Okay. And everyone is, has to dress in elegant white. It's a very strict dress code. Literally no, no off-white, no eggshell, no ivory. It's all white. Okay. Right? Everything you wear. And you bring... Even your shoes? Everything. Oh, wow. Shoes okay. and everything. Okay. Yes. And you bring a table and two chairs. So you have Wait, to go you in bring groups your, of two. you bring yourself? You bring your own table? You bring your own table. Okay. And your All own right. chairs. And it's in groups of two. Okay. So it's a small table and two chairs. Okay. Tablecloth, um, you know, and, and then you bring a picnic basket mm-hmm. of a gourmet dinner and wine... And champagne, no beer or liquor allowed. Okay. Only wine and champagne. All right. Okay. So this How is about the, rose? You can bring rose. Okay. It's a wine. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. White, All right. white, red, or rose. Totally okay. fine. All right. So these are the parameters. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you show up at your at your at your location with your table, your chairs, and your picnic basket mm-hmm. in your white gear. And then your leader will take you. And you follow them to the actual destination. And then what happens is a pop-up. It's like a flash mob, but like a dinner party. Mm. So it's like a pop-up where hundreds or thousands, in some cases, of people, all dressed in elegant white, have this dinner party with white tablecloths and gourmet food and wine from 8 p.m. until midnight. And then at midnight, they tear it down and and go back the way they came, take all their stuff away, and it's as if no one was ever there. Wow. That's cool. So you, you did that. So, yeah. So it started in Paris. Okay. 30 years ago. Oh, And it okay. has now franchised out around the world. They actually have them in Baltimore and D.C. and oh. these areas in the United States. You can okay. go to like, once a year, they'll have a Dine en Blanc event, oh. which you can go to. Now, the only way you can get into it okay. is by knowing someone that's done it previously. So, oh. for example, I could now give you access to go to the one in Baltimore or New York or D.C., wherever you're going to be. Fantastic. Okay? Love it. But what they had in Paris this year was the 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the Dine en Blanc event in the city where it started. So they had over 13,000 people wow. show up for this clandestine pop-up white party. Oh, wow. And people flew from all over the world. So there yeah. was people from Baltimore and D.C. and New York that literally flew to Paris just for this event. Oh, that sounds so amazing. It was insanely epic, totally wow. incredible. People from all over the world. It was it was totally magical. But um, But it's always a pleasure for me to go back to Paris. Um, is what the point of that was. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so final question, your top bucket list destination, place you've never been, Ooh. that you most want to go. And if you want to name more than one, you can name two or three, but what's in the top of your list right now? Yeah, so honestly, I think I, I stopped making like resolution list. But I remember back in the day when I did make resolution list, one of my goals is to visit every single country in the world. So that would be before I die, of course. (laughs) So I would say that would be my bucket list. Because I think that 
Yeah, there's not necessarily one of like, ooh, I definitely want to go there. Um, there's plenty right now that are like on my list. But really, I want to visit every single country. I want to experience every part of this earth because every part is so different. And there's so much knowledge and information and amazing people that I know I'm going to be able to meet and experience along the way. Yeah, and I feel like once you start doing that, then you're like, ooh, like, I, you know, you get kind of drawn towards a place that you've spent less time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. last year, like, I spent six months in South America, which was mm. epic. I mean, it was so amazing. <laughs> it was so special. I went mm-hmm. to so many countries, and I was living, like, a month for a time, and, you know, Colombia and Peru and, like, mm. these amazing places— and it was incredible, but I was spending so much time there that I was like, wow, this is epic and I love every minute of it. But then I was like, you know what? I've spent so little time in sub-Saharan Africa, ah. right? Like I told you I lived in Egypt yeah. for a year, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And I did like Morocco for a month um, and I've and I've been in South Africa for a month. But like between there, I've done so little. I was like, this continent is huge. Yes. There's so many amazing countries there. Absolutely. Like that, and then that becomes like the top of my priority list. Okay. So yeah. then I'm like, who's going to, you know, how can I go to sub-Saharan Africa? but also do it like with a community and stuff like that. So that's where this program came in, right? Ah, Wanderers Life said, we're going to Nairobi, Kenya. We're doing it with a cool group of people. You get to ham the city, go on a safari, you know, experience all this stuff. I was like, that's perfect because I haven't done that before. No, no, you also went to Uganda. So had you been to Uganda before? Never before. Okay. No, like this month. In Tanzania. All new to me. Wow, so you had Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda. All this month, totally new for me. East Africa has been massive. Magical. It's been delightful. It's been amazing. I have also felt super fortunate because I have, you know, I knew some people here in this region mm-hmm. from other nomad experiences that I had. Okay. So I went on the nomad cruise mm-hmm. earlier this year and literally met people from Kenya and Uganda who said, you got to come visit. Right. You know, when are you coming to Kenya and Uganda? Right. So I said, actually... I'll be in Kenya here. So then we, you know, and you met a couple of my friends here yes. from Kenya. And then I went and stayed with a friend of mine, a Ugandan friend of mine, mm-hmm. who I hadn't met for the Nomad Cruise, but who's based in Kampala in Uganda. Mm-hmm. So she took me all around Uganda. We went to see the source of the Nile River and wow. we t- went to see all these different spots in Kampala and it was amazing. And so, you know, that's one of the really cool things as you travel more and you meet people, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you're also like, oh, like, you know, Uganda hadn't been super high on my list, but now that I have this friend and she's super cool and right. she told me all this amazing stuff about Uganda. And then I heard like reinforcing stuff about Uganda from the Kenyans and other people that have spent time in Kampala. I was like, mm-hmm. that's now super high on my right. list, so I'm going, you know? <laughs> and so your list kind of like constantly changes. Right, you know? right, absolutely. But you are going to uh, South Africa in the next near future, yes? Yes, yeah. So actually, so like, like Nairobi, Kenya was my first introduction to can I do this remotely? So I'll go back to the States um, for pretty much October. And then November, I'll be in Thailand for the month. So I'm excited about that. Awesome. And then December, it's still a little up and I'll be back in the States for a little bit. And then December, um, New Year's, I'll be in Joburg with Noir B&B and Afropunk is doing an awesome festival there that I'm super excited about. Um, and I'm going to tr- I'm going to fit in. I'm not quite clear where I'll be fitting in uh, time in uh, Cape Town as well. And then what you shared with me, Matt, about the Digital Nomad Summit, 
right? The Nomad Summit in, Nomad Ch- Summit. in Chiang Mai in Thailand in January. Yes. Yeah. So I'm trying to make that um, in January. So awesome. I'm super excited. That's amazing. Where are you going to be based in Thailand in November when you go? Um, so I think I may do... Chiang Mai. Yep. yep. And I'm, I found a couple Airbnbs. I'll be sending you the links to tell me if those are good areas. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Since you have been there. Um, so my goal is to get an apartment there on Airbnb and then do excursions to Bangkok and Phuket um, and different other parts of Thailand while, while I'm there for the month. Awesome. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've been to Bangkok. I've been to Phuket and I've probably spent the most time in Chiang Mai. I was just there for seven weeks earlier this year and it is a super special place. I mean, on so many levels. It's probably the number one digital nomad hub Mm -hmm. in the entire world, but it's just a super special city on so many levels. So definitely hit me up and I will give you all the recs and introduce you to people that are there and you'll know people when you arrive because I'll introduce you to them in advance. So it'll be amazing. Thank you, Matt. Yes, of course. So Daraja, thank you so much for being here. It was awesome to have you on the show. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's been super (laughs) special. So, uh, So yeah, so all the links, everything that we've talked about in the show, the names of people and events and books and everything else is going to be in the show notes. Uh, so just check that out for that. And, uh, uh, we have about two more days here in Kenya. Yes. And then we're rolling, rolling out. Rolling out. I can't believe it. But it's been an awesome month. It's been amazing it uh, hanging out with you and having epic experiences. And thank you again for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook. Are you following Maverick Investor Group on social media at Invest Maverick? You'll get exclusive content such as behind the scenes footage, travel adventures, and tips on real estate investing and lifestyle design. Follow Maverick Investor Group on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat, all at Invest Maverick.